From Yahoo Finance, this is Electionomics. I'm Rick Newman. And I'm hosting by myself this week, Alexis Christophorus, my normal partner, is off. I'm sure we will all be glad when she is back next week. Joining me today is Larry Diamond. He's a political science professor at Stanford, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, and he's one of three co-authors of a startling new study, startling to me anyway, uh, for the Democracy Fund called Democracy Maybe, Attitudes on Authoritarianism in America. Larry, thank you for joining and uh, tell us the top line findings of this survey you and your colleagues did. Well, thank you, Rick. Uh, I appreciate your having me. Um, I think there's there's some reassuring news and there's some very deeply troubling news. The reassuring news, Rick, is that if you look at just the superficial level of support for democracy as the best form of government, uh, you know, in the United States, you're talking about. In the United States, yeah, 75 to 80 percent of Americans consistently say democracy is very important. It's the best way of governing. Of course, we want to live in a democracy. And those levels have been really impressively consistent uh, for some years now. And certainly over the three surveys that we've done annually in 2017, 2018, and then this most recent survey was conducted at the end of the last year, 2019. But Rick, it's when you probe beneath the surface uh, and look at the trends over time and uh, push our random sample of, of the American public, the American voting public, a little bit more um, uh, vigorously and creatively that you find the maybe aspect the equivocation aspect, and a heck of a lot of anxiety around this coming election in November. So I'll give you one element of the equivocation aspect. When you ask, uh, do you think it'd be a good idea to be governed by a strong leader who doesn't have to uh, bother with Congress and elections? which is an item that's been used in dozens of countries around the world to signal a readiness for authoritarian rule. You can say only a quarter of the American public uh, would support that option, but first of all, that's not a trivial number. And second of all, when you look across the three surveys, because we're surveying people, the same people each year, so we can see how their attitudes change or not over time. You know, a third of the American public has endorsed that option in one of the last three surveys, at least. And a quarter of the American public has endorsed the option of having army rule as a, uh, uh, an option for the country. And I could go on in these authoritarian options, but the other two things um, I'd say that really disturbed us are, first of all, that uh, there's um, a lot of willingness to cut a president slack to act unilaterally if they think it's the right thing to do. And there, we never found you know, an absolute majority of the American public 
willing to say, no, uh, the Congress uh, has to uh, be consulted here. The president can't act unilaterally in the various scenarios. Now, obviously, if there's a national emergency or were uh, attacked, uh, that's one thing. But just to say, because the president thinks it's the right thing to do and have a plurality of the American public or a large minority support that, that's disturbing. Let me, Larry, let me just ask you to um, explain some of the terms here. So when you ask people if they uh, approve of a strong leader, so some yeah. people might think a strong leader is like Ronald Reagan, you know, somebody who uh, uh, right. seems competent and confident and in charge. Uh, but you're, you, you are wording these questions in ways to signal an authoritarian leader, not just a strong, outgoing, confident leader, right? Right. And that's why we add on the words critical who doesn't have to bother with Congress and elections. Now, does that mean shutting down the Congress? Does that mean canceling elections? We leave that vague, but we have found it to be an indicator. So be before I go on to the elections, Rick, because we need to talk about how Americans are thinking about the November election and the scenarios we pose to them, but um, let's go on to Army rule. In previous surveys, we found that 18% of the American public, when they're asked, well, there are different ways of governing. What would you think about having the Army come in to, to rule? And you get almost one out of five Americans who say, yeah, that would be a good idea. We were kind of shocked by that. And so we... That's the latest result or that's an earlier result? Uh, that is actually a result that we have had uh, consistently across multiple surveys. Going back to when, more or less? Uh, well, 2017, 2018, 2019. Okay. It's been 17 or 18% in each of the last three surveys. So actually, you know, I said to my colleagues, look, Let's really press them on this. Let's add a question that says, uh, look, um, this is the scenario we, we pose to you. The American military leaders suspend elections, close down the legislature, and temporarily take charge of government in order to address extreme corruption. Okay, so there's no doubt now we're talking about basically military dictatorship. And what do you think the percentage of the American public is that would support that? Uh, this is the one, I'm afraid it went up, didn't it? It went up, I think you said from 18% to 24%. No, 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 it didn't go up, but it didn't go down very much. Uh, so it, it went down to 13%. But here's something else that's troubling. If you wanna view it this way, you could think of it as going up. 13% endorsed that unambiguously kind of military dictatorship question. And another 18% said they weren't sure if it would be a good thing for the country. So now you're around one third. Yeah, you're pretty close. That's 31% that didn't reject it. 
Huh. So let me, um, I, I want to spell out what the uh, Democracy Fund voter study group, sure. uh, these surveys are, because these are not, so, you know, people see political polls all the time, and usually it's a random poll, a uh, telephone poll of around a thousand people. This Yours is a different survey, so can you explain what's different about it? Well, what's different about it in part is that it has uh, uh, more people, but the two uh, things that make it particularly different, Rick, are first of all, that um, we're not asking mainly, although we, we do need to know, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Do you support Trump or you know a Democratic nominee? We're cutting deeper as you can already see from the items we've discussed, to ask, what are your attitudes toward democracy? What are your, what's your level of confidence in the election? What would you be willing, what kind of scenarios would you be willing to support in terms of, uh, uh, you know, possibly defecting from democratic norms? And the, the second thing that makes this different is that we have interviewed people uh, repeatedly over the last three years, the same people, so we can follow the consistency or alternation in their views over time. And it's also around five to 6,000 people, right? Yes, it's a larger sample than is frequently the case, though some... Uh, uh, some national surveys on hot-button issues will will use a sample that large. And are these people, uh, this is always an important question in political polling, people that you know are voters or just a sample of the adult U.S. population? It's, uh, uh, if I recall, registered voters. It's not necessarily everyone who's going to be able to vote. Right. Or, or everyone who's going to wind up voting. Uh, but people who, uh, you know, at least have uh, suggest uh, an intention to vote. Yeah. There's another, um, to, again, to me, startling um, finding out of this, which is that um, nearly one fifth of people of both Republicans and Democrats say that they would support some level of violence uh, after the November election if their candidate didn't win. Can you go into that? Well, now we come to uh, the two most troubling findings uh, in our report, Rick. Uh, first of all, we asked voters um, whether they would be willing uh, to support or condone uh, violence if their um, uh, candidate uh, didn't win the uh, 2020 presidential election. The specific wording is, you know, what would you think about uh, if there were uh, a violence if the other party won the 2020 presidential election? Do you think there would be no justification for violence, a little justification, uh, a lot of justification, or a great deal of justification? And... Uh, the percentage of the American public who basically said there'd be a lot of justification was about nine to 10% in each of the two parties. Interestingly, it was about the same 
for both Republican identifiers and Democratic identifiers. And then another 10% of respondents who identified as Republican or as Democrat, the same percentage in each party, said there would be at least a little justification for violence if the other party won. So you've got one in five Republicans and one in five Democrats who say uh, in late November and early December of 2019, and I don't think the number is going to be lower right now, given everything that's happened, that if the other guy wins, there might be some justification for violence. And nine to 10% who said, yeah, there'd probably be a lot of justification for a violent reaction. Now, no. 10% may not sound like much, uh, Rick, but we have 225 million uh, adults in this country. And, you know, my guess is, well, you know the numbers, uh, probably roughly 40 million people who probably identify as Democrats maybe another 35, 40 million who identify as uh, Republicans. So we're talking about millions of people who think there would be a lot or a great deal of justification for violence if the other party wins. Well, I think it was, I looked it up, I think 138 million people voted in the 2016 presidential election. So if you just took it of a percentage of people who voted, uh, right. that's 30 something million people. Um, uh, so, um, so to be very clear about this, the survey question was not, do you think it would be justified to commit violence? It was, would you support violence in theory committed by somebody else, right? It wasn't even that. It was, do you think violence would be justified? So it's really, would you sympathize with it? Would you condone it? Uh, so I want to be very careful here. Our assumption is that only um, only a small percentage of the 10% of each group of party identifiers who say violence would be justified, only a small percentage would probably commit violence. But you look what's happening in the United States of America these days, and you can no longer dismiss the possibility that this is going to happen. So let me get a bad election. Uh, right. Uh, so let me ask you for some context here, Larry. Uh, is there is there any historical data that tells you whether this is uh, considerably more troubling than it has been in the past? Or is it possible that 20 or 30 years ago, people might have given similar answers? You know, Rick, um, we don't know the answer to that question, because uh, to my knowledge, this question has never been asked before. Uh, we wanted to get beyond some of the questions we've asked before and probe deeper, particularly given the acute levels of polarization we're seeing in the country now, which certainly are as um, strong now as they have been uh, at any time in the past, as you know. <clears throat> so um, we're innovating here in question wording. The value of innovating is you get a new angle on what people think and what they might condone. 
the disadvantages you have nothing to compare it to. I think the, the your, your study says, and by the way, anybody can get this on the internet. I always encourage people to go find these, read it for yourself. It's called Democracy Maybe right. by the Democracy Fund Voter Study Group. Just uh, do a web search and go find it. The study does, uh, I believe, refer to some earlier limited, but some there's some poll results on the question of army control, at least from the 90s or late 90s, right? Mm -hmm. Has that uh, changed over time? That has climbed up. Uh, since the uh, uh, 1990s. It's several percentage points higher. Uh, and um, uh, on the other hand, support for a strong ruler is slightly lower uh, than what it was at its peak. But, um, you know, we now have a strong ruler who <laughs> feels he doesn't have to bother with Congress and elections so maybe the words have more serious meaning now. So Larry, you study democracy all over the world, um, including places that uh, don't have it, places that barely have it, places that used to have it. Right. What does all of this uh, suggest to you about the state of democracy in the United States? The most important point I would make, uh, Rick, is the contextual one. Uh, which we try to keep coming back to in our report, which is you've got to keep putting the numbers in the context of what's been happening in the United States. So you might say, oh, people are blowing off steam when they say violence might be justified. But we haven't had an incident before in my memory similar to what happened in the Michigan State Legislature on May 1st, where people with weapons went into the Michigan State Capitol uh, and intimidated the state legislature, uh, forcing them to wear bulletproof vests, and then later when they were getting ready to reconstitute, uh, inducing the government to actually close the building down to ensure that it wouldn't be invaded again by armed protesters. And it's been a long time since we've had protests that have resulted in the violence that we've been seeing on our streets uh, with the level of anger that we've been seeing on our streets. So when you see the level of polarization, the increasing willingness to display weaponry, uh, the kind of incident we had um, in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, way back with the white supremacy, right? Yeah, you begin to, you know, take these uh, signals a little more uh, literally, perhaps, and then also keep in mind the other finding that we haven't talked about yet, which is scenarios by which people might reject the legitimacy of the election, and again, look at context of the. Russian intervention in the 2017 election, the context of uh, Trump raising significant concerns about the legitimacy of mail-in ballots, the uh, context of the candidate who lost the popular vote winning the Electoral College last time. And so there are multiple contexts in which people might plausibly be mobilized 
to reject the legitimacy of the election. So in that context, uh, we take it a little more seriously when we find that three in 10 Republicans say it would be appropriate for President Trump to refuse to leave office because he has credible evidence or he claims he has cre cre credible evidence of illegal voting. And we take it seriously that 57% of Democrats say it would be appropriate for the Democratic presidential candidate uh, to call for a do-over election because um, the candidate claims to have cre credible evidence of inter interference by a foreign government. These figures indicate a strong potential for the losing candidate to possibly uh, raise concerns that would provoke a crisis over the legitimacy of the 2020 presidential election. Uh, worth pointing out, um, the closer this election is, the more likely a kind of a problematic outcome becomes, right? Uh, I mean, we oh. know, for example, uh, we're going to have probably more, uh, and we've talked this, uh, talk about this on prior, prior uh, editions of this podcast, we're probably going to have a lot more mail-in ballots, which means uh, it's going to take longer to count the vote, and we may not even know the winner on election day if it's close. Um, so this, so it, the one uh, way to guard, a, a landslide election would be a terrific way to guard against this, right? Whether it goes one way or the other. Yes, of course. Um, the uh, more decisive the election outcome is uh, with the ability to, you know, extrapolate an obvious clear winner on election night, the less scope for this kind of crisis. But you can't expect that. And uh, therefore, we make multiple appeals in the report, and I will do so now. And one of them, Rick, is to you and all of your colleagues in the media to help educate the American people about the fact that there's a very good chance we will not reliably know who the next president is on the night of the election or possibly for two, three, four, five days after if there are some very close states uh, that are waiting for mail-in ballots and that will determine the winner of the Electoral College and people need to adjust their expectations and be patient and not scream electoral fraud, but let the professional electoral administrators count the ballots and do their job. As we're, as we're winding down here, Larry, real quickly, if you could give a PSA to the candidates themselves, uh, presumably Joe Biden and Donald Trump, what would you say to them? I would say, first of all, respect the process and the election administration professionals that are running the process. And don't um, try to suppress the vote or make it more difficult to vote or question the cr credibility of arrangements uh, that neutral electoral uh, administration officials might be doing to make it easier for people to vote. Uh, we are in the midst of the most dangerous, challenging circumstances for voting uh, that the country has faced, certainly in my lifetime. 
uh, and we need to uh, make it safer for people to vote at the polls, but we, with uh, all of this social distancing and so on and the adequate poll workers, but I think we also need to allow people uh, more opportunities to vote absentee or however it might be. And don't gin up suspicion, outrage, and a readiness to do something radical or extreme uh, on the basis of no evidence. Be responsible because the consequences of irresponsibility in rhetoric or posture our survey results show could be much more dangerous than in the past. Larry, uh, very thought-provoking and possibly worrisome stuff. Uh, thank you so much for filling us in on all of this. That is Larry Diamond of Stanford and the Hoover Institution. I'm Rick Newman. Uh, Alexis Christophorus always gives such a crisp, clear sign-off. I think all I can remember to say is uh, I'm Rick Newman. Follow me at Rick J. Newman, and thanks for watching.